A young boy lived in the country. His family had to use an outhouse, which the young boy literally hated. It was hot in the summer, cold in the winter, and it always stunk. The outhouse was located near a creek, so one day the boy decided that he would push it into the water just to get rid of it. After a spring rain, the creek had swelled, so the boy took action. Later that night, his dad told him that he would have to take a trip to the woodshed over that one. The boy knew this meant punishment. He asked his father why, to which his dad replied, because someone pushed the outhouse into the creek, and I think that someone was you. Was it? The boy responded that it was. Then he added, remember, Dad, when George Washington's father asked him if he had chopped down the cherry tree, he didn't get in trouble because he told the truth, Dad. That's correct, his father said. But his father was not in the cherry tree when he cut it down. Most of you probably never toppled an outhouse. I've been on job sites most of my life, and it's not a pretty picture when one goes down. But you can probably still identify with this boy in at least a couple of ways. First, there's that urge within us to do something wrong, right? Yeah, there's just, we just have urges. That, yeah, I just, I, that's what I want to do. I had one of those this week. Had to do with drug dealers, taking them out and shooting them all. It's just that kind of week, you know? Some of us also identify with this boy, and our lack of goodness kind of affects other people's lives. When we choose wrong things, the consequences carry over. And they don't just hurt us, but those consequences hurt other people. And of course, there are your own consequences that you can identify with as well. In his case, the woodshed. God has a really good way of taking us out to the woodshed, doesn't he? And it's not to punish us. It really is to remind us that he has a better idea for us. We punish ourselves. God is not a punisher. But he will allow us to suffer our own consequences that we might learn from them. Every day, each and every one of us, we're confronted with choices that we get to make that somehow affect our lives and the people around us. In the words of Eleanor Roosevelt, One's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is best expressed in the choices that one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die. And the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. In our text this morning from Romans, Paul calls us to choice. He calls us to decide. He calls for us to be people who make right choices based on who we are, not on who we were. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 6, we're doing the latter half of the chapter this morning. Chapter 6, verse 15 through 23, and I'm going to read out of the NIV this morning. This is what it says, starting in Romans chapter 6, verse 15. What then? He's responding to what we talked about last week, okay? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? It's the same argument that he started last week's sermon with in Romans chapter 6, 1. Should we sin more that grace may abound? Certainly not. He says exactly the same thing here. Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, 
or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer your part offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness." And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. An incredible passage. An incredible reminder filled with promise, but also filled with responsibility. I want to look at all of that this morning. Before we go there, let's stop and pray a minute. Heavenly Father, I just I, I love your word, Father, because it shows me who you want me to be, and it shows me who you are for me. You don't leave. You don't forsake. You started a good work here. You will be faithful to complete it. That is your promise. But I also have responsibility in that because you've given me a free will to engage you, and I can choose to do so, or I can choose to engage other directions. Father, I pray through your Holy Spirit you would penetrate our thinking this morning. Get from our our ears into our brains and from our brains down to our hearts that we might experience who you are for us, understand what you want for us, and commit ourselves to that direction. In Jesus' name. Amen. Paul opens up this text with a question in verse 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And he answers this rhetorical question. Rhetorical question is a question that you don't really want or need an answer to. With a by no means, no way, don't go that direction. Then Paul proceeds with an everyday analogy that the first century Christian would understand very well the analogy of slavery. In verse 19, Paul tells them, I speak this way using the illustration of slaves and masters because it's, it's easy for you to understand. But today, this may not be so easy for us to understand because slavery no longer exists in our country. So we have to, to look at Scripture, hopefully through the eyes of the first century Christian, to make sure we understand. When a slave folks, was passed on in ownership from one master to the next master, the old master's authority came to an end in that person's life. And Paul says, you were slaves to sin. That was your old master. But now you are slaves to righteousness. Sin being your old master forced you to do all kinds of evil things. It enticed your heart in a direction away from God. And you didn't have the power to say no. That was the life of a slave as well. Whatever the master wanted, you had to do. 
put this in a modern context, it wouldn't be too far from, a little bit, but not too far from, the idea of employment. You maybe don't get passed from slave owner to slave owner unless you consider your boss a slave driver. (laughs) That may be in your particular situation. But when you leave one job for the next, do you still answer to your former employer? Of course you don't. You're not responsible to do that, but guess what? You are free to do it. You could if you chose to. You can, by your own choice, still put yourself under another person's authority. You know, one of my my favorite pet peeves (laughs) is our ability to put ourselves under sin's authority in our lives and let him have rule and reign. So that when somebody else in our lives, say not a, an employer, but a spouse or a friend or, or a coworker, gets under your skin, ticks you off kind of thing, and you spend the whole day stewing over it, you know what? You just gave your freedom away, didn't you? This is, this is the analogy that Paul is making. You, you, you allow yourself to, to go under the authority of another person, to go under their influence over your heart and over your mind. I'm just kind of bringing this into a modern context for us, okay? You're not responsible to answer to that. You don't have to go that direction. You don't have to be angry for the rest of the day, but you can choose to. You may not be a slave any longer, but you can still submit to that kind of power in your life and allow other people to rule over your emotions, over your thinking, and over your doing. What? If we choose our old master above our new, what, what difference? What if we just choose that? I mean, isn't that okay? I mean, it's our choice, right? Certainly, it's our choice. It's our choice to do what we want when we want to do it. And we always choose what's most important to us. What if the pull of the world is more important to you than the pull of God in that given moment? What if we choose to keep our habits that undermine our faith and submit them instead to the enemy rather than to the control of the Holy Spirit? We don't have to look very far for an illustration in this text Uh, what Paul's talking about. He's talking about a bondage to sin, which only leads deeper into slavery, so it becomes harder and harder to do what's right. Some of you experienced in this this in your life, some of you experienced it in the life of other people, that even though they might have, at one time or another, made a commitment to Jesus Christ, they made choices that led them down a path that dug them deeper and deeper and deeper into an habitual pattern of wrong thinking, which leads to wrongdoing. And at some point, it just looks like they gave up and succumbed to this type of thinking and doing, and their lives don't reflect at all the decision that they made once upon a time. The prodigal son is kind of like an an example of this in Luke chapter 15. When he was home, he decided he wanted his freedom. 
That was important to him. So he requests of his father his inheritance, and he leaves home to find himself, to enjoy himself. But his rebellion only led him deeper into slavery. He became a slave of wrong desires, and then he became a slave to wrong deeds. Ultimately, he ended up literally a slave when he decided to put himself under somebody else's authority and ends up living and feeding the pigs, which in the Jewish culture was about as low as you could go. What he thought was freedom turned out to be the worst kind of slavery. And you know, it's not different for us. We think we're, we're doing what we want so we get freedom kind of thing. We think our lives are free, but all we're doing is digging a hole into slavery. It was only when the prodigal returned home and he yielded again to his father that he found freedom again. A Christian can be like a prodigal, even though we're believers. When we want to serve ourselves more than we want to serve God, we become like a prodigal, and we're setting ourselves up for a form of slavery. We become blinded to a simple fact that Jesus told us And we may have forgotten. He said, no one, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. If we make decisions long enough in one direction, we will devote ourselves to that direction. Jesus' message was basically the same as Paul's. Who we obey, we end up serving. And who we serve, we end up reflecting. Now, I don't know this all sounds too familiar for you. I I realize I've preached it before, I know. I can't even count the times that I've said from this pulpit or to individuals, you get the life you choose, don't you? Maybe it's a little abstract, but it's not hard to understand. Even though we understand the concept, sometimes I'm sure we don't take it very seriously. If we did, our choices would be different, wouldn't they? Yeah, of course they would, sure. The problem might be that we just don't take it all that seriously most of the time. I mean, we can look at the prodigal son and we see this great story of redemption and enduring love. And somehow we get this idea that our choices are always redeemable. God is good and loving and no matter how far or how badly we fall, he will always catch us. Ever had that thought? especially when you're in the midst of doing something you know you really shouldn't be doing. Oh, there's enough grace to cover this, right, God? You know, I am angry as a mad hornet right now, Father God, and I just want to rip that guy's head off. There's grace to cover that, right? That is true. You know what? He is good, and he will not fail in his goodness, but at what cost? Your choices, folks, have more power than you realize. This all came rushing home to me this week as Janet and I stood at the bedside of a young lady, my niece, while she was dying. It's different when it's personal, when it's somebody you know. It's heart-wrenching when the life support is removed and she begins gasping for breath, even though she's basically brain-dead already. Your body responds. Your brain, even though it's gone from cognitive thought, has autonomic responses 
that keep the body wanting to breathe. And it crushes you to watch it happen, to stand at her bedside and hold her head while she gasps. It's different when it's personal. And you cry and you pray with passion, Jesus, just let it be over quickly. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I know it was her choices, folks. Her choices that led to this outcome. Her choices and the choices of people that she surrounded herself with. And they're just choices. They probably weren't even horrific choices. They weren't grave mistakes. They were just poor choices. Poor choices piled on top of poor choices. Now I'm well aware that that sounds horrible and it sounds severe. Believe me, it was. It is. You're probably sitting there thinking, well, I don't make that many bad choices, Scott. I do all right. Nothing too severe. Well, you know what? That's probably true. And I'm not saying that God can't redeem the choices of my niece. In fact, I'm pretty sure that God did. We prayed before we got there. She made a commitment when she was younger, but she let her heart chase other things. She let her life go a different direction. But I tell you what, when I walked into that room, I'm not one of those people that's a big feeler type. Every once in a while, I'll feel the Holy Spirit and I get goosebumps when I'm leading worship or some other time. I had such a sense of the Holy Spirit, the goosebumps wouldn't stop when I first walked into the room. I literally had to grab the rail of the bed she laid on in order to keep myself from falling over. The Holy Spirit was so strong in that place. And I just felt God say, it's okay, I got this. God can redeem choices that we make. Yes, he can, but the consequences are still there. Amen. What price we pay sometimes for our choices. That it's true that God redeems. But Paul gives the warning here for a reason and a purpose, folks. It's the same warning, basically, that he gives to Timothy. I, I, I love what he says to Timothy, and I, and I want us to think about this because he's talking about choices. In 2 Timothy 3.1, it says, mark this, there are terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Sound familiar? Lovers of money. That ought to sound familiar. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. I, I love the fact that that comes up early in the list. For those of you that are parents, like, I like that one being there. But it reminds me that, you know, I have parents too. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Paul would go on to tell Timothy that these, these Christians, their faith was counterfeit because they were making daily choices that reflect the old master of self rather than the new master of the Holy Spirit, rather than the lordship of Christ in their lives. 
the choices made of whom we will serve will determine our eternal destiny. It will determine to some degree our reward. We either choose God or we lose. That's basically the message that Paul has. If we choose to live for and serve our own selves, then we choose to live independently of God, and our choices are what he calls sin. Paul said in verse 16 that we do have the choice to choose living for ourselves, to choose sin, but sin leads to death. That's the natural outcome. Or you can choose obedience, which leads to righteousness or life. That's the natural outcome. Remember Moses in the Old Testament? Before Moses died, he addressed the people. Now, we don't really have a recording of Moses' death in, in the Scriptures. What it says is that he walked out into the desert and he was no more. But he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. But he assembled all of Israel together to speak to them before he did that. In essence, he told them to choose or lose their choice. This is what he said. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curse. I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life, that you and your descendants might live. Choose to love the Lord your God and obey him and commit yourself to him, for he is your life. Then you will live long in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As Christians, it is essential that our choices reflect our obedience to God Bob Dylan, I'm not a Bob Dylan fan, by the way, but Bob Dylan once wrote and sang a song, You Gotta Serve Somebody. I don't know if you remember that song. He said, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you gotta serve somebody. Folks, who we obey, we end up serving, and who we choose to serve, we end up reflecting. Paul says here that if we choose to obey self, we choose death. But if we choose to obey God, then we get life. We are either slaves to sin leading to death or slaves to righteousness leading to life. Both are a choice and both determine who we are and what we become. A slave was one who was a servant to another, bound in duty and bound in service. I find it interesting the Bible tells us that to serve God is completely our choice. We must choose to serve God every day. I think we are very good at treating our relationship with God and our obedience to God like a food buffet. We choose Sunday morning worship, but we pass on weekday Bible studies. That's like, you know, going down the line and choosing the roast beef, and then passing on the broccoli. We choose prayer when we're troubled or hurting, but we pass on interceding for others. I didn't want those carrots anyway. We serve when it feels right, but we pass when it's inconvenient. We give when it doesn't impact our pocketbook, and we pass when it's too much of a sacrifice. Listen. Folks, nothing worth having, nothing of true value ever comes easy because it is in the pursuit or the journey that value is attained. You get that? Nothing of value in this life is going to come easy because it is in the pursuit or the journey 
where the value is attained. It is through the fire that a precious metal is purified and actually made valuable. And it's the same for us. To be a true disciple of Jesus, folks, it just takes effort. I'm not, this is not the easy life. I always marvel at people who say, you know, Christianity or faith is a crutch for weak people to lean on. Oh my gosh. You gotta be kidding me. My life would be so much easier without the responsibility of living for Jesus. It wouldn't be very good. I'm not saying it would be a good life. I'm just saying it would be an easy life. Christianity is not easy. It takes effort. We tend to put folks more effort into our jobs, hobbies, and entertainment sometimes than we do our relationship with Jesus or with one another. And then we wonder, and this always confuses me, we do that and then we wonder, why is peace so fleeting? Why is love so rare? Why is joy so easily shattered and patience almost non-existent? To have Christ-like character is a matter of choice for each one of us, and it takes effort. To live a life of righteousness requires us to make daily choices, sometimes daily sacrifices, at least what seem like sacrifices in the moment. Paul paints a contrast between the choices we make as Christians. I'll take you back to Timothy for just a minute, okay? Uh, Timothy chapter 3. says people will be lovers of themselves instead of loving one another fervently. They'll be lovers of money instead of lovers of God. Remember, Jesus said you could love mammon or you could love God, but you couldn't love both. People will be boastful instead of quietly confident in God. They would be proud instead of humble, abusive instead of gentle, disobedient to their parents instead of honoring of others ungrateful instead of thankful, unholy instead of set apart for God, without love instead of being in love, unforgiving instead of forgiving, slanderous instead of truthful, without self-control because the Holy Spirit is not in control. They will be brutal instead of healers. I found that one to be interesting because when you look up brutal, it is the opposite of bringing healing. It is bringing pain. They'll not be lovers of good. They'll be treacherous instead of trustworthy. They'll be rash instead of wise, conceited instead of sober about who they are. They'll be lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power instead of living and walking as demonstrations of the power of the Holy Spirit in them. This This is what the world will be. And we have the choice to go the other direction. We can choose all of those first parts, or we can choose the life that God has for us. Paul says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. 
One choice leads to death. The other choice leads to life. For every negative, there's a positive choice that can be made. Each of these is nothing more or less than a choice. And we are no longer slaves to sin, no longer slaves to the first part. That means we're free to choose righteous living, to make choices that have different consequences. Uh, This is a true statement. The choices we make will always reflect someone. It's our choices to who we put on display in our lives, isn't it? Our lives are a portrait, one that we spend most of our lives painting. Some people opt for the self-portrait kind of thing, striving to be noticed, striving to be significant, striving to be important. God asks us to trust him with all that, to put the paintbrush of our lives in his hands because he's a master artist. We can settle for the amateur hour and do it ourselves. Or we can allow God to paint our lives, to make our choices with us, to empower us, to move in his direction. On a wall near the main entrance of the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, is a portrait with the following inscription, James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. This is a portrait, actually, of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for their freedom. No literal portrait of Jesus exists either, folks. But the likeness of the Son who makes us free can be seen in the lives of those who follow him because their portraits are painted by the Holy Spirit and they reflect him. Ask yourself, who's painting my portrait? Is it me or is it God? I don't know about you, but I want my portrait to reflect only one image, and it's not mine. I want it to be strikingly similar to Jesus. I want people to look at me and go, I know who painted that. Does that make sense? Therefore, my choices need to reflect that desire, that goal, that aspiration. I need to be like him in my choices because my choices are the measure of my obedience and who we obey, we end up reflecting. Did you catch that? My choices are the measure of my obedience. Who we copy, we end up reflecting. That's how Paul kind of concludes things in this thing. He gives us one final contrast of that slave-master relationship. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We often quote this scripture when sharing the gospel to somebody who doesn't know Christ. Sometimes I think we miss the fact that Paul was talking about this to Christians, not non-believers. He was saying this to believers. In echoing his thought from verse 16, 16, he calls us then to choose. You can choose sin, which leads to death, for the wages of sin is death. You can choose to obey God and receive his approval because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a choice. Whenever the word of God is preached, it always calls, folks, for action on our part. It just does. 
Otherwise, if there's not an action to be had here, otherwise, I've just given you a 35-minute monologue, dialogue, that went nowhere, had no conclusion, no import and no impact. But that's not how God sees it. Because the preaching of his word, according to Isaiah, when it goes forth, it never returns void. So I'm going to claim that promise from Isaiah, that what's been said today will go forth into us, okay, myself included, and it will draw fruit. Just as the rain comes down from heaven and waters the ground and supplies food, so the word of God waters us and reaps a harvest. The Lord challenges all of us with a choice this morning. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to pursue? You can certainly, God will let you, you can, you can pursue your own agenda, your own life. Or you can choose to pursue Jesus. Go hard after God. That's a really simple choice. Now, if you've been choosing wrong lately in your life, then you have another choice to make this morning. It's time to repent, to have a different thought. You have to know it's not too late to do the right thing. It's not too late to make changes. It's never too late, folks, to make a right choice. Maybe it's time to, to see me after our final prayer today and either dedicate or rededicate your life to Jesus. It's up to you. It's still your choice. Many of you came forward last Sunday, and you nailed a particular choice that you've been struggling with to the cross in a symbolic but powerful demonstration of your commitment to think and act differently. I don't know how it went for you this week. I failed a few times with mine. But by and large, it was a better week. And I think it's going to be a better week coming as well. I'm asking you to consider the next logical step. Last Sunday was about leaving old ways behind. Today is about embracing new ways. Galatians 2.22 says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no conflict with Jewish law in here. Those who belong to Christ have nailed their natural evil desires to his cross, which you did last week, and crucified them there. If we are living now by the Holy Spirit's power, then let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. This is an opportunity this morning to embrace the reflection of Jesus in our own lives. It's the picture that leads to a blessed and eternal life, according to Paul. Verse 22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I really like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of those last two verses. I want to share it with you to close. Eugene puts it this way. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you 
What a surprise. A whole, healed, put-together life right now with more and more life on the way. (coughs) Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. I love that paraphrase. I mean, he just says it so well because it's all in our choices. Moses and Joshua both put it this way. Choose this day whom you will serve. And Joshua added this, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. That's our choices. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today has been kind of um, an interesting message. Interesting, Father, because it, it really is more about us in this sense than it is about you. You've done all you needed to do. You provided a way. You provided Jesus for us. You provided the Holy Spirit to walk with us. And it really is about us now pursuing that path, moving that direction, following hard after Jesus. And it's up to us to make those choices. Father, I pray for everybody in the room. If we have issues we need to deal with, get them out of the way, rededicate ourselves to moving forward, even if we, uh, we have to do it again tomorrow, even if repentance has to be done over and over again during the week. Father, I pray that we would do that, that we would let nothing, no influence of the enemy, no influence of our own hearts stand between us and the destiny that you've laid out for us in Jesus, this incredible, abundant, and eternal life. Father, help us to make the right choices. Forgive us of the ones that um, fell short, the poor choices that we've piled on top of one another and created habits, longings, and desires that have nothing to do with you. And help us to turn those around and walk a different direction, to have a different thought, which leads to different actions and a different life, an abundant life. Thank you for calling us constantly back to yourself. Holy Spirit, thank you for never abandoning us. Help us to be aware that you're with us all the time. In Jesus' name, amen.